Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Fabulous, church. Uh, and, you know, maybe there's people watching online. Thank you for watching online right now and those who will watch in the future. Um, good on the young people getting away. Uh, never happened in my day. We'd always be back for Sunday morning. But the generation has changed and uh, I understand that. You know, we, we have busy lives, but not only tea and coffee afterwards and mingling, but even after church is over on Sunday afternoons now because there's no evening services. Uh, once a month, the young adults take it, but that's time to k- k- go to the beach, catch up with one another, do, a, do lunch together, whatever. They're great opportunities for us to create this, this sense of family and continue to strengthen that organic growth of the body of Christ. It's, it's not an organisation. It is a, a body, a group of people who are family gathering together. So that's exciting. Um, so let's see what, well, let's pray for the sick first. We've got some people we know of that aren't well. Father, both here, Lord, and those online, others in the house and the family who need a touch of heaven, struggling physically, emotionally, Lord, through these seasons of life, even with the torment of the mind. Lord, I pray that healing would flow, strength would come, wholeness of, of body, soul, spirit and mind would come. Lord, you died on a cross and your body was broken for us. I believe for healing and wholeness in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Great. So last week I started that series about broken bread and uh, it's interesting that uh, it's, a, it's a whole process of life. And I want to look at that because we looked at the breaking of bread, how Jesus on that day when he fed the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fishes, he lifted the bread up, blessed it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and sent them forth. So I want to look at those, those processes of blessed, broken, given and sent. Uh, they're, they're all integral with each other from that passage and realise that we have a purpose in life. There's a, there's a challenge for us to do. And I thought, you know, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean? Uh, and, and looking at life, if you were to come into our world today with no understanding of what it means and, and wanted to find out what blessing was, you know, if you, if you looked in the media, all different forms of media, you might think uh, a blessed life is having a really good coffee. Uh, for the coffee connoisseurs, you send the one back that isn't nice. If you've never sent a coffee back, you're not a coffee connoisseur. You're just a nice person who drinks bad coffee at times. You know, so uh, yeah, there's this coffee, you know, good lattes, maybe perfect homes, uh, uh, really quality, classy cars, uh, maybe a, you know, the idea of a beautiful spouse or just perfect children. Like we have perfect children, don't we? Don't, don't, yeah, we all have perfect children. Uh, as I, as, I, as I've understood, though, that children to be perfect have to be children, not adults. So when adult, adults expect children to behave like adults, they're not perfect if they are. Children are naturally naughty, naturally pushing boundaries, trying to find the limits. Our, our job is to help them find those limits as soon as possible. So they are more perfect. But, you know, some people think that's what blessed is. Um, and yet... That really isn't the heartbeat of what the Bible considers blessed. Although uh, that, that aspect of prosperity and health and provision and beauty and things like that, they are at times an evidence of, of the goodness of God and the blessing of God. But you know, that's really not always what the Scripture says. It does say that, like in Deuteronomy 28, 3 to 6, it says, Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the country, 
Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. And we can take that as as affluence in some sense of what blessing is. And yet the natural affluences of this world happen to people who are good, bad, ugly, whatever, for good reasons, for wrong reasons, for no reasons, sometimes by chance. And so they're they're shallow or or false examples or shadows of real, true blessing. Uh, We see it a bit better in the prayer of Jabez. Many of you would have heard about a famous book on it. But the prayer of Jabez in 1 Chronicles 4.10 starts off with that materialistic thing. Jabez calls on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. So straight away there's that sense of of, um, affluence. But listen to what he goes on and says, That your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil, that I might not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Jabez means causes pain. And so Jabez's prayer is he he wants to have more than just enlarged territory. He sees blessing as God being with him. He sees blessing as being kept from evil and he sees blessing as not causing harm. Well, let's flip flip that over. To to be a blessed person in not causing harm, we want to do more than that. We want to be those that cause blessing on others. So blessed people should be a blessing to others. And so when I want to look at blessing, it's that intangibles that go beyond the natural affluence of life, but the character and the qualities that are important, the eternal ones. Um, A great place to see it when you're studying Scripture is the thing called the law of first mention. Where was this first used? Where's this comment or phrase or word first used? And if you want to read the Bible, the first place is in Genesis chapter 1. God creates everything and he says it's good and he blesses it. And right through, um, then verse 27, it says this, at the end of all this wonderful uh, creation, and God blessed them. Sorry, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's interesting that before all this dominion and increase, which is good, God creates and the first thing that God does for mankind, humanity, is He blesses. The very God creates and then He blesses that thing that He creates. And I think that's really important. The first mentions of blessing are God blessing what He creates, God blessing what He creates, God blessing what He creates. And then he calls it good. And then in chapter 2, when he creates Adam and then creates Eve, he says it's very good. And he blesses them. After blessing, the byproduct of that is fruitfulness, multiplication, subduing and having dominion. Notice there is no comment of dominion over people. It's dominion over the earth. 
We are not made to have dominion over one another. We are in this journey together. Yes, there's respect for authority, but there's not dominion. The Kingdom of God is a Kingdom where the King gives His life for the people. There's this benevolence that flows from the top down. There's no sense of me getting from that which, is, which I lead. It's a me giving my life into that. And God saw it was good and He blessed them. Right from the beginning, God establishes blessings in the foundation of the world. You know, God makes and blesses because it's the nature of God. God is a blesser and that's His heart. Everything has its origin in God and we need to understand that. So everything that God creates is blessed. Now, you look around the world, it may not look blessed. And yet the Bible says God blessed it. Didn't bless sin, He blessed the earth. Now, there, there were, if, if we want to go back in the ancient world of the time of the writing of Scriptures, there, there was a concept about God. You know, that they knew that what they saw didn't happen by accident. They looked and straight away there's this thought that God created, whether it was the God we believe in or some other kind of gods or gods that work together, whatever, there was this questioning in their life. They knew that the world was not a series of automatic processes or random accidents with no divine involvement. They knew that there was divine involvement. And yet today we try and get rid of God. Listen to Romans 1, 21-22. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Uh, That's quite a challenging thought because it's interesting when I look at life and I look at some of the great musicians and singers of the, of the world secularly. Many of them had their blessing in their vocals and their singing in the house of God. Elvis Presley came from the house of God. Whitney Houston, all, the, all these other people. Their, their blessing comes, from, God had blessed them and the gift was meant to be a blessing to the family of God and they've taken it for themselves. And then there are people who God has given intelligence and wisdom and then they say, there is no God. That which was meant to be a blessing has become something selfish. Now, Timothy says this in 1 Timothy 6.20. Or Paul writes to Timothy. So my son Timothy, don't forget all that has been deposited within you. Escape from the empty echoes of men with a perversion of twisted reasoning for those who claim to possess this so-called knowledge have already wandered far from the truth or from the truth. In the, in the King James, it says, uh, avoid profane and vain babbling. It says, oppositions of science falsely so called. You know, the people in ancient times, as we mentioned, they didn't have the question, uh, is there a God or how did we happen? They, they clearly was which God and why? Not is and how, but which and why? Which God... And why did God create? And you know, we've advanced so far now in, in a secular world that we just think that all this intelligence is an act, accident of random chance and nothing and no one made us and therefore we have no purpose or reason attached to our lives other than that which we choose to make for ourselves. At the end of the day, if we are just accidents, what's the purpose? Well, what's the point? You know, the, the ancients asked those better questions, which God and why? 
Now, the Genesis account, it gives us an understanding of God. It gives us a reasoning for the purposes of what God has done. And the question of which God and why is actually far more intelligent than what and how. Why is it more intelligent? Well, I'm glad you asked. All reasoning away from a creator God is actually unreasonable and irrational. No matter how qualified or apparently intelligent the people claiming that there is no God are. Now, I know this might upset some people. They, they might want to get on and tell me all sorts of science. Well, let's step back from our so-called sciences and let's look at beginnings actually from a scientific perspective, which is about questions and answers. And don't worry, you don't have to be overly qualified to comprehend it. So-called science states that without God... There's no God, but they they often start with a story of existence from the Big Bang. The trouble is, uh, the Big Bang actually requires questions to be answered that predate the imagined event. Questions like, what went bang? Where did it begin? What made it go bang? You know, they're, they're questions that have to be answered before you can even journey Big Bang onwards. So let's forget the so-called sciences that follow and try and answer these three questions. You know, where did it come from? And the answer is pretty simple, uh, that they're all faith-based. Every one of the answers to these questions of beginnings are faith-based questions. They're faith-based issues. They're not science-based issues. Because ultimately one has to make a faith decision about the important truths. And so they're not science, they're faith. And so the first one is you have to choose that either nothing became everything. That's not scientific. Right? That, that, that's a choice to believe nothing became everything because science clearly tells me that nothing cannot become anything. That's as simple as that. Nothing is nothing and nothing from nothing leaves nothing as the song used to go. So you've got to start with that becoming everything or everything always existed in energy and matter in some form. But you've got to make a decision that everything always existed eternally. How do you prove that? I mean, that's all I'm saying when I say there's a God because we say he's eternal, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient. So he's all-knowing, he's everywhere. You know, he's all-powerful. I just make a comment that there is, they're both faith-based statements, either nothing turns into something, something was always there, or there's a God. All of these are faith-based decisions. They're faith-based assumptions. You you can choose to believe that somehow matter energy happened to go bang for some unknown and unexplainable reason, and that's a faith assumption, even that thing going bang. You then have to choose to believe that somehow unintelligent, random, non-living matter turns into, by accident, intelligent, ordered living matter with no scientific way to explain how that happens. They have no answer for that. There is no answer for how, how non-living matter becomes alive. You know, when, when I went and saw my mum and she died, she's in the bed, there's a body there. Guess what? She was exactly the same as the day I saw her alive, except now she's dead. There is no atomic difference in, in essence of her cell structure other than lack of oxygen. She's dead. See, there, there's nothing. How do you make living dead? And what makes a, I mean, dead living is easy to get living dead. I mean, so, 
So all these things have to be answered about how the beginnings happen before you start even any kind of science from the Big Bang. After that, they start to say things like, somehow non-living becomes living and then through a a series of random mutations uh, that leads to positive evolution of some kind. Some, Some people have quoted things to me like sickle cell anemia. And I don't know if you know what that is, but it's, it's a condition of the blood that actually stops you getting malaria. And it's good not to have malaria. I mean, we try and prevent getting malaria by taking uh, any malarial drugs like hexachlorine or whatever it is that they're banning, whatever, yeah, chloroquine, or, you know. Uh, and Okay, so I've now got a disease. Now it stops me getting malaria. But I also have anemia, which causes constant fatigue. I get episodes of chronic pain, I have swelling of hands and feet, frequent infections, delayed growth and puberty, vision problems. It also has complications like strokes, acute chest syndrome, pulmonary hypertension, organ damage, blindness, leg ulcers, gallstones, priapism, leading to impotence and pregnancy complications. I think I want malaria. The so-called positive mutation that stops people getting malaria actually kills the person. It causes them to die. It doesn't help them in the long run. It's not positive when a mutation makes you worse. And that's pretty much right across the board in any of these things they try and claim are positive mutations. And yet all of these are still faith-based choices that undergird them. Even the most ardent atheists, when challenged, admit they believe in their atheism, but technically you can only prove that they're agnostic. That was it. Their answer ultimately is, I don't really know. I've already made my mind up that there is no God, so I choose to be an atheist. Well, that's a faith statement. And I, and I live by faith. Look, please, I, I make no, no, no apologies. I unashamedly acknowledge that I begin my life on a faith statement. I have faith that there is one almighty God who created us with meaning and purpose and science does not discredit that view. And that's the only faith step I have to make to give me the meaning and purpose of life. Others have to make multiple faith-based statements before they can get to anything of science. So if you look at that in conclusion, believing in God is actually two or three steps closer to science than evolutionary, nothing to everything theology. Look, I'm not saying things don't evolve, but in the nothing to everything, mm, that's what we're talking about. So science by definition is in fact the pursuit and application of knowledge and understanding of the natural and social world following a systematic methodology based on evidence. That's funny because the very definition of science is opposite to the theory of evolution that says with no methodology and no evidence and no systems, everything happened by random accidents. That doesn't even fit the definition of science. So it's falsely called. Sadly, much of today's so-called science is in the area of interpretation of evidence with a preconceived framework to selectively exclude any evidence that disagrees with the desired conclusion. So go back to the ancients. 
They had intelligent questions. Which God? And why? Why? Which and why? And so when we go back to the, the Jewish beginnings of Judaism and the faith and, and, the, and the concept of Yahweh, Jehovah, when we go back to that, we find that it's so different to the gods of the world at that point of time that were in the cultures of the Middle East. You know, Israel's neighbours couldn't, they, they would argue that this God, the strongest God, whichever army won, their God was the God, the only one. And there was all these gods and if you couldn't appease all of them, then you didn't know what. And humans are just here to serve the gods and, and we're, out, we're like slaves to do what they want. Well, that, that's not what the God of the Jews taught. The world's gods were fickle and moody and, and the question is where and why. Well, it just, this is weirdness of, of it all. Humans were made to be slaves of the gods and gods didn't want us to like us anyway. Well, when you compare Genesis and the account of what God is like, Scripture reveals a very different God. There's not a whole bunch of gods in Scripture. In fact, Paul tells us the idols are just idols. They're not gods. You can't make a thing out of wood or gold or silver. You make it as a frail, limited man and you make it, you put it down, call it a God. That's just a carving. It's just a statue. There is, according to Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew people, one God, Yahweh, the supreme, the sovereign, the only God. And we have this wonderful view of who he's like, this, this one God who's got a heart that loves, who's, who's, who is love in its very realm. So God, when he creates, is going to have this heartbeat of love. The, the singular view of God set apart, uniquely powerful. That, that's what they taught. That's what the Scriptures reveal. Not a whole bunch of random gods that are always at war with each other. There is a war going on. It's between the powers of darkness and God. And the people of God happen to be those who are being attacked in the journey. And the devil hates humanity because we reflect God. We were made in his image and likeness. And in the beginning, not only God exists, but God speaks. It's God. And then he speaks. And then the spirit acts. And so right there in Genesis 1 and 2, we have initial images and pictures of a, a triune God. One God who is Father, Son, and, or Word and Spirit. We have this initial beginnings. And it's like, how can we see it so clearly? And, and somewhere in the Hebrew culture, they couldn't see that God being one was three who are one. And one who is three. Yet, yet we don't comprehend it, but we see it. This God... Being, existent, the speaking, the word coming forth and the spirit working the work of God on the earth. And then we see secondly that God created us on purpose with a purpose. You are not an accident. You are not an accident of a one night stand, some biological accident from history. That's not, you might be the result of that, but you are not that. You are, you, you are created on purpose, with purpose. We are not byproducts of uncontrolled forces of random choice. We are, according to Genesis, people made by God in the image and likeness of God, though that image is marred by sin. And still, as we've said, this third thing, that God blesses what He makes. 
And again, takes us back to, to that message of blessed, broken, given and sent. Not only is God the intentional, purposeful creator, He's a God who loves and blesses what He creates. From the very beginning, God who creates called humanity very good. As a whole, He called creation good. I know this creation and humanity have been impacted by sin, but in God's eyes, he sees what we can be. He sees what we can be. It's like my mum, and bless her heart. Your know, mum would always see the best in us. She sees one of my brothers said, I see him singing for God. I'm going, yeah, sure. You know, oh, I've got so much doubt in that area. Another one, mum sees it. She saw in me something of, of what I am today when I was backslidden, when I was rebellious, when I was in, in the motorbikes and the footy and the drugs and the alcohol. Mum saw the best. And you know, God sees the best in us. God knows what He put in us. God knows what He created us on purpose, intentionally for. And what He's invested in our lives, what He's blessed us with. Maybe that's hard for us to see. Maybe it's difficult. Do we see the possibilities of the good, the very good of ourselves? You know, how do we see ourselves? Maybe on a good day, maybe on a really good day, we, we think we're okay. But we often struggle to see ourselves as good or even very good. We look in a mirror. We're too skinny. We're too fat. We're too short. We're too tall. Got blemishes in our skin. Our face is off shape. You know, for those of you who don't know or haven't noticed, my nose is bent. It's bent in a couple of ways. It's got a little nick, just a little, little curve there where it got busted off and it leans a bit sideways that way. So when I look at you, I look down my nose at you. No, I don't. But I do turn my nose to be square on at you. you know, I look along that. And so it looks like this eye is slightly back from this eye when, when I'm talking to people because I look along my nose unintentionally. It's because my eyes look straight down the nose and that's what I use to line up with. See, I know that. Girls you, girls, you will know when your eyebrows aren't quite level. Am I right? And how many other blemishes do you know? I've got love handles. You know, I weigh myself differently to most people. Some people step on a scale. I use a stopwatch. I do. I have a shower, put my jocks on, get a stopwatch out, stand in front of the mirror, go... And when it stops shaking, I'm three seconds overweight. We know our blemishes and we can judge ourselves by our failures. We can criticise ourselves so much we tear ourselves down and yet God sees us and He says, very good. We are all too aware of our shortcoming and even in that point of our plainnesses. At best, we think we're ordinary. Often we say, I'm not really good. I'm a bit of a mess. Very good. Well, I wouldn't say that. The Genesis story and that account grounds us in God. God Himself made us on purpose, for a purpose. And the very first thing He did was blessed us. That's the origin of your life. 
That's where you begin. Let me read to you out of Psalm 127, verse 3, CEV. Children are a blessing and a gift from God. Now, sometimes they act like they're a gift from somebody else. But the Bible says they're a blessing. You, the day you conceived, you're a blessing sent from God. You were blessed at conception. Children are a blessing. I was once a children. I'm a blessing. I'm blessed to be a blessing. You began your life as a blessing. And even if your parents didn't recognise it, didn't want to accept it, God said so. God accepts you. God calls you a blessing. In fact, He pronounces blessing over your life. That's how we began. And why? Because God has a purpose for our life. The Creator called us into being on purpose. The purpose was that we would be blessed to be a blessing. It's a story of God taking delight in you and naming you as good and a blessing. It's a story of God, the Redeemer, pursuing you. You know, my parents named me Errol John Buckle. Errol means Earl, noble and devout. John means beloved of God. Buckle comes from buckler, which apparently is a small shield with a spike at both ends, both used for defence and offence. I like my name. But you know, God has a name waiting for you in heaven. The Bible says we get a new name. It'll be a name which has been the purpose of God for our life. It'll be a blessed name. Yes. It's already ours. We have yet to inherit it. And God sees you in that realm, blessed and a blessing. You are blessed and you're to be a blessing. God calls you out of darkness and calls you into light. And He brings you back to the revelation of the beginning of your life. You were born a blessing. You were conceived a blessing. You are blessed. You may not recognise it. You may not know it. You may not even believe it. But I'm telling you right now, you are blessed. And the fact that you breathe, like we sing the song, if I'm not dead, <laughs> you're not done. You're a blessing. And, and maybe that's not where you feel your story is today. Maybe it's not what other people tell you. But I'm telling you, that's what God says about you. Maybe you're running from God or hiding from the pain and suffering of life. Convinced that God doesn't see us, doesn't care about us, that we're just nobodies and ordinary. We're in the crowd. God sees you personal, intimate. The plan of God is that you would come back to know Him. God sees you as blessed. I'm just a messenger. Bring a message to tell you the truth that God says you're blessed. And God wants to rewrite your story if it doesn't look like a blessing today. God wants to help you rewrite the story. He wants to fill you with His Spirit. He wants to have you born again of His power. He wants to draw you back into intimacy with Him. See, your origin is where God begins, but the destiny is where He has you going. And your destiny is better. It's going to be blessed and a blessing. See, when Jesus broke bread, it didn't change. It was still bread. It was still broken. And sometimes our circumstances don't change when we're blessed. But we're still blessed. We are still blessed. That bread was blessed even when it was broken. It was still blessed and you're still blessed. Even if life seems like it's broken around you, God has something better from you. It's not the material things. It's the eternal things. 
God made you to be a carrier of His blessing. To be blessed is to be returning to God, our Maker. It's to be restored, to made whole. See, the God who called light out of darkness, the God who called Israel out of Egypt, the God who called them out of slavery to freedom and gave them purpose also calls you and I out of the darkness and slavery of sin back to the good and the blessed that He has for us. Now, if you don't know Him, God still calls you. And if you do know Him, I want you to grab a hold of the true picture God has of you. Blessed. Blessed. No, you are not ordinary. You are special. You are created by God. And whether you're a believer or not, you're special and created by God. You're not a burden, you're a blessing. And you've been blessed. And God is calling you. Come to the one who calls you blessed. Commit your life to the one who calls you blessed. Even if you're a Christian, come back. Be more committed to the one who calls you blessed. And let Him write your story in you. Let Him write the destiny differently. A destiny that is a blessing for the whole world. See, we're called to be light in the darkness and salt and light in our world. We're called to be a blessing. Our purpose is to be a blessing. Listen, you can't be a blessing if you're not blessed. And you are blessed to be a blessing to the world. Let's pray. In this attitude of prayer, maybe you're not right with God. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you just never committed your life to Christ. Maybe your view of yourself is less than perfect. Maybe it's not, you don't see good or very good. You just see cursed. But God calls you blessed. And if you want to commit your life to Him, the one who calls you blessed, the one who has blessing for you, the one who will cause you to be a blessing and not a pain, the one who wants to abide with you and you to abide with Him, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And maybe if you're already a believer, I'd love you to pray with me as we pray this prayer for those who want to commit their life or recommit their lives to Jesus. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I thank you for calling me blessed. Lord, I don't always feel it, but I commit my life afresh to you. I receive Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. Forgive me of all my sin in Jesus' mighty name. Let me pray for you. Father, right now, for those watching online and those here, those who've committed and those who've recommitted their lives to you, for the rest of us, Lord, a refreshing and a refocusing. Lord, instead of looking at our lives in, in the natural realm, we would look at our lives as you've called us, blessed and to be a blessing. Not an accident, created on purpose, with purpose. Blessed to be a blessing. Lord, let the blessing in our lives flow out so that we are a blessing to this world. For you are great and you are good. And you created us on purpose, with purpose, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, bless people. Go love God, love one another, and realise you are blessed, and God called you blessed on purpose. God bless.